Good afternoon, America, and welcome to the Dean's List. I'm Dean Bowen, and you are listening to America Out Loud Talk Radio. We are happy to have you on board today. Uh, Yesterday, we did it. Uh, We brought the receipts. If you haven't had a chance to listen to uh, yesterday's show, I'm sure it's in podcast today. Uh, We titled it uh, Something About Cultural Decline in America Since Prayer Was Removed in 1962. You'll be able to find it, uh, I think, by that title or something like it, because that was the question we asked. Uh, Has there been a cultural decline in America uh, since prayer was taken out? Uh, In 1962, 1963, there there was a span of time overlapping those two years where uh, the court made some decisions, which involved Uh, kicking prayer out of public schools, and also kicking the Bible out of public schools. And so we asked this question, has there been a decline? And uh, really, the the impetus for the question uh, came during an interview that I was having uh, with Malcolm uh, on Viewpoint this Sunday. And it was just a few days ago. And, And Malcolm asked, you know, how did we get to this place? You know, we those of us that have our eyes open, we look around, uh, we see what's happening in our public schools. Uh, we, you know, we can we can look and see the um, almost the uh, you know the the term is indoctrination camps. That's the term. And so he asked me this question. Um, you know, how did we get to this point? How did we get to where? We are calling public schools in America government indoctrination camps. I'm adding that. I mean, that's not how he asked it of me, but uh, but I'm I'm just adding that in there. How you know because that's that's what public schools are referred to as government run indoctrination camps. Now, again, this isn't every public school. There are. I mean, you could probably go to the heartland and. You know, you're going to find yourself some good public schools in the heartland. You know, you're going to get into the South and you're probably going to find some good public schools that just teach uh, morality, teach biblical principles, you know, maybe without using the Bible, because that's a no-no. But there's good public schools out there. Um, I heard from a listener yesterday who said, uh, you know, they were listening to a previous show on podcast uh, where I was talking about the 1619 project. And this person is, you know, from a small community in the Midwest. And they said, I didn't even know anything about the 1619 project. Um, You know, so there's, there's good schools out there. There are good public schools out there. There are good public school teachers. There are good public school administrators. Um, you know, so they're there. And and ultimately what the role of this show is to shine a light of truth on the state of affairs in public education. But that doesn't mean it's going to be on every single public school, that, that um, the overall state of affairs, you know, we say is bleak and we deem it to be bleak. You know, and this is, you know, where, where Malcolm's question came from. You know, where he said, how do we get to this place? Because overall, there is this general 
feeling of bleakness in public schools. But, uh, you know, with that being one of our stated goals to shine the light of truth on public schools uh, or just on education in general, you know, what I don't want to come across as is, you know, a, a private Christian school snob, you know, because I run a, a, a private classical Christian school. I don't want to come across as just one of those, you know, just a classical Christian school snob that, you know, if you're not, if you're not doing it my way, then it's not being done properly. Now, where's my tea and crumpets? Um, I, I don't want to come across that way. Uh, and as I said the other day, there are some Christian schools that I would say don't send your, your child to. Um, you're, you're paying a lot of money to not get a very good education, you know, so, and there are good public schools. I'm sure they're out there. Um, but I think as we, as we shine truth and it, it begins to unveil things, uh, just in the educational landscape, it's our job of this show, I believe, to call it out, to, to call it out, or at least to, 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 to say what it is. Um, you know, I, I just don't want to, to get into that place where we're, um, where, where it's me arguing, uh, from a, from a Christian school standpoint, you know, to, you know, saying public school is horrible. Not all public school is horrible. So we've dropped that caveat. And I, you know, I may repeat that from time to time, um, you know, just I'm not going to repeat it every day. Those of you that are listening, you know, I think you, you, you know where I stand. But overall, as a country, you know, we can look and see. We can open our eyes, so we can see things aren't good. And so, uh, Malcolm asked me this question, and you know, I kind of alluded to 62, 63 in my answer, but without a whole lot of time to dive into it. I mean, we we pretty much took an hour. Uh, yesterday to get there. And I promise you, we only scratched the surface. So just in a, in a quick reply that I could give to Malcolm, um, you know, I said, we're, we're to the point where as Americans, we, we have trusted the system. You know, we probably went to the public school in our community. And when we were there, it was a great public school. And so naturally, you know, if we still live in that community, we're going to we're going to send our children to that school. You know, it was great when I was there. It, it, it probably still is great. And then, uh, you know, we're, as as parents who are busy, we're going to go about our lives. We're, we're going to go to work. Um, we're going to, you know, pay the bills. We're, we're going to go to the grocery store. We're going to buy food. We're going to have some entertainment. We're going to try to relax. And we, we want to live peaceable lives as Americans. This is, you know, this is one of our objectives as Americans. We want to, we want to have a good job. We want to make money and, you know, we just want to enjoy ourselves. And so we put our trust in our leaders that they're going to take care of our kids. There's a trust there. And I, it's to the point where maybe that trust is um, being misused. I think we're to the point where that trust is 
beginning to erode where we are seeing that um, maybe the leaders in charge don't have our children's best in mind. And that's what we want. When we send our children off to a school, the people in charge of that school need to have our kids' best intent in mind. Everything that they do needs to be Everything that is on their list of objectives, it needs to be measured against, is this going to be the best thing for the students in this building? And that includes curriculum. The curriculum that we're choosing, is it the richest? Is it the, the best curriculum out there? Is it going to teach the students in this building that, um, is it going to teach them to be a particular type of person? You know, every school is teaching math, they're teaching English, they're teaching science, they're teaching history. Uh, you know, some schools are, are still teaching the arts a little bit. Um, you know, there's physical education going on. That's happening. Pretty much any school, you know that you're going to get some instruction on that. But there is a whole nother layer of education that is happening. And that layer includes teaching the students to be a particular type of person. What type of person are they being taught to be, to become? So that is, in my opinion, that is true education. When that student is being taught to be a certain way, to be a certain type of individual, that is a true education. And that can be a good education or it can be a bad education. It, it really depends on, on what it is. It depends on what they're being taught to become. Who are they being taught to be? So I you know, talked about um, this plaque at um, the Millington Public Schools the other day. Cindy and I took a bike ride on the Iron Bell Trail here in Michigan, and we ended up at Millington Schools. And there's a plaque on the wall of the pavilion there at the end of the trail. And the plaque was from 1957, and it was a dedication to the elementary school. And the school board in 1957 is making this dedication. And um, they refer to the purpose of the school as a sacred purpose. And, you know, in the dedication, they said this building, this elementary building is part of a sacred purpose. And this sacred purpose, they said, is in unity with family and with churches, school, family, and church. The three have come together in this sacred purpose, which is to, in their words, to develop worthy, law-abiding God-fearing citizens. That was the purpose. It, it didn't say anything about the student being able to get a job. It didn't say anything about, uh, you know, having the top test scores in the nation. That wasn't their purpose. Their purpose was not to produce mathematical geniuses. Their purpose was to produce a certain type of individual. Did you catch that? 
their purpose was to develop a certain type of individual, worthy, law-abiding, God-fearing citizen. The plaque next to it from 2015, you know, talked about uh, a successful citizen. I think that was the language. I don't have the verbiage right in front of me, but I, I think that that was it. it you know, they wanted their young community members, it said, uh, to be successful citizens. Which again, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, to be a successful citizen. But there is a certain type of person who is a worthy, law-abiding, God-fearing citizen. And this is what education used to be. That's what education uh, once was, where we focused on the type of individual the student would become. And we focused on things that were true, things that were good, and things that were beautiful. And that layer of education, on top of or in conjunction with the mathematics, the English, the grammar, the writing, the literature, uh, the sciences, the history, created, developed, made really good individuals who were really good students. And then, you know, we hit, we, we hit a road bump. We hit 1962. We hit 1963. Um, and we brought those receipts yesterday. If if you if you haven't had a chance, go to my Instagram page where I posted the graphs. Uh, my Instagram is the Dean's List thirty three. If you want to go to my Instagram page, the Dean's List thirty three, and you you'll see the graphs there. Um, the five metrics that we pulled out because in nineteen fifty seven, uh, the students. Every day we're voluntarily reading this prayer or a prayer like it. Almighty God, we acknowledge our dependence upon thee, and we beg thy blessings upon us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Uh, us, our parents, our teachers, and our country. Four, four groups there. Four groups of individuals, students, parents teachers, school, and then the country as a whole. That prayer was going forth every day. And then that, that prayer abruptly stopped. And then we get nothing because that Supreme Court said, uh, no, we can't do this anymore. It's unconstitutional. It doesn't matter that it's been happening since the beginning. Um, it doesn't matter that... Uh, it doesn't matter that the men who wrote the Constitution believed that religion and morality should be taught in schools. That doesn't matter because it's unconstitutional. This court in 62-63 had the, had the gall to say that the men who wrote the Constitution got it wrong. When you know, Jefferson drafts the Northwest Ordinance. The only 
the only place in that document that deals with religion and education deals with it together. And it says religion, morality, and knowledge uh, being necessary for good government and the happiness of mankind. Schools and means of education shall forever be encouraged. It unites religion and education in, in, in one bundle. That was the summer of 1787 when they when they signed off on the Northwest Ordinance. And a month later, two months later, I mean, still in that summer, we're into September, they wrap up the Constitution. They write the Constitution, it goes into the ratification process. Men that wrote the Constitution also believed that religion and morality should be a part of the education system in this country because it teaches our students to be a certain type of individual. And then we have this court here in 1962 and 1963 that takes it upon themselves to uh, override the founding fathers, takes it upon themselves to know more about the Constitution than our founding fathers know takes it upon themselves in complete arrogance. Uh, the audacity here of their arrogance is mind-blowing to me. That, you know, and I said yesterday, that they're supposedly the smartest men in the country. They are the, they're, they're, they're brilliant at what they do. I mean, they're sitting on the Supreme Court. How can they not be brilliant? How can they not have an understanding of the Constitution, but not only that, an understanding of the Declaration and our founding documents. They should have an understanding of the Northwest Ordinance. All right, uh, let's pause here for a minute. Uh, we're going to take a break, and we're going to pick up my rant on the other side. You are listening to The Dean's List, uh, America Out Loud Talk Radio. The pandemic may be over for some, but millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-term effects of toxic spike protein from COVID-19 and the vaccines. Fortunately, Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at the wellness company designed their spike support formula with the miracle enzyme natokinase, scientifically studied to dissolve spike protein so you can feel your very best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. How can you improve your odds of staying healthy? The answer is stay healthy with Cofix RX. Who's got time for a cold, strep, a flu, HRV, RSV, or COVID anyhow? Cofix has some great news. Besides being featured as a top five product in the drugstore news, we completed the protocol that you've heard Dr. McCullough talk about. Cofix RX is already famous for a powerful virus hostile nasal solution, and now we have a throat spray too crush those nasty germs before they become a problem. With known antiviral support ingredients like povidone iodine, xylitol, and vitamin D3, you can feel a little safer. For a limited time, when you add the new Cofix RX throat spray to your order, you'll receive 25% off the entire purchase. Just click the Cofix RX banner on the America Out Loud website or store. Be sure to use promo code OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Don't forget, OUTLOUD25 at checkout. Oh, 
Welcome back to the Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. America Out Loud is a leading voice in the rise of the new media, and there is a new media rising, and I am honored and happy to be a part of it. This is America's premier news network, where smart people go to get their news and information. So congratulations on being one of the smart ones. We are happy to have you on board. Uh, before I pick my rant back up, I want to say how much fun it was to have uh, Cynthia in studio yesterday. Uh, Cindy is my wife. She is uh, my occasional co-host whenever I can um, convince her to come in. Uh, she just, um, she's a pleasant human being and and she's got a lot of good things to say, especially about education and and about what my rant is on ultimately, but she's a uh, she's a calmer presence. We'll just leave it. We'll put it that way. She's a calmer presence, and but uh, she's definitely a joy to have her on. Uh, I, I hope that she'll she'll come back. Maybe I didn't scare her away. So my uh, you know we were talking about the Supreme Court, the sixty two sixty three court, and again this is a show on education. You know, we're shining the light on education. Uh, but we see that education really covers all areas of life. It really does. Uh, education is the most important conversation we can have. But what about my health? Isn't, isn't my health the most important conversation I can have? Yes, uh, but it's got you, you've got to have the, the, the right education about it. I mean, if you're just getting health advice from anybody, then your health conversation is not the most important conversation you you're going to be having. That's a conversation that's going to be hurting you. But if you're listening to Doctor Reilly or Doctor McCullough, and you're you're listening to the the doctors on America Out Loud, then you are getting good information. But it's about the education that you're receiving. So it, it comes back to education. Everything is about education. It's the most important conversation we can have. And, you know, after after bringing the receipts, we can see what, what a good education versus what a bad education can present. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to look at the, the charts, I've, charts I've posted on my Instagram page, go check them out. Uh, we... Um, my Instagram is uh, the Dean's List thirty three, and take a look at them. Uh, the charts on how the country is in decline. Once, once that prayer was taken out, once this court took it upon themselves to kick the Bible out of schools, took it upon themselves to understand the Constitution better than the men who wrote it. Um, this goes back to my discussion about, you know, the the trust that we have in our leaders is, is breaking. It's eroding. When uh, we're supposed to have the smartest individuals in the country, you know, sitting on the Supreme Court. And, um, you know, we, we have to, we have to question that. We have to question what what is happening with our leadership. And I, 
I think as American citizens, though, we have to take our trust back. And I think we have to uh, begin to, to take matters into our own hands. And, and I'm not talking about violence. Uh, I'm talking about regaining our sovereignty. Um, the Constitution starts, the preamble begins with, we the people. We the people are the sovereign. And our government was set up so the sovereign weren't in the government. Because that was the government that they were coming from. The king was the sovereign. Uh, he was the ruler. He was also acting as judge. You know, he was basically banning legislatures. You know, he was shutting it down. Uh, you know, it's in the list of grievances that, you know, Jefferson puts in the Constitution. You know, so they're leaving that type of government. And they realize having the sovereign actually in charge of the government, actually running the government, I should say it that way, is not a good thing. We want the sovereign to be outside of the government. And this is then why we have a republic. So the sovereign can elect our leaders to run the government for us. So then the sovereign, you know, we can go about our business. We can go about our lives. But in doing that, uh, we cannot take our fingers off the pulse. We have to know what our leaders are doing. And, and we also have to understand what are our rights here. So in 1947, that court in 47 began to talk about uh, the wall of separation between church and state in a way that it had never been discussed before. That 47 court began to lay the groundwork for what happened in 1962 and 1963. That 47 court, and again, we're going to take a day and we're just going to have a history lesson. I mean, we're going to have to, it's probably going to take several days just to dive into, to really dive into the answer of Malcolm's question. You know, how do we get here? What happened? Uh, it's it's more it's it's a deeper answer, and it's gonna it's gonna take a history lesson or two. And I you know I love history, and I'll dive in. Those of you that want to dive in with me, we will dive into it. And uh, you know, business law was my favorite class because you got to go through the case studies. You know, you got to read what was happening in this case, you know, so-and-so versus so-and-so. And that just, I don't know, that just became exciting to me. So uh, I, I personally love diving into these court cases. You know, what happened? You know, why are we here? What what in the world were they thinking? Um, you know, so we're going to do that. Um, but we left off yesterday, uh, you know, talking, you know, we were, we were, we were listening to the David Barton interview and, and everything that he had to say about the decline of the country. Um, but we alluded to this fact that there is hope. Folks, there is always hope. And that's the, that's the other stated goal of the Dean's List is to shine the light of hope. Um, 
I'm an optimist, and I, I believe that we as Americans are extremely resilient, and um, we have enough tenacity about us to just not roll over and just, you know, let our, our leaders get away with, um, I think, maybe what some of them are trying to get away with. Uh, so there's hope. Uh, David Barton talked about this this current Supreme Court and their propensity to to consider uh, favorably the religious plight. Uh, they are a court that's bent on on this thought that if there has been a tradition that we've done in this country since 1776, then guess what? Uh, it's a long-standing tradition, and we're going to deem it constitutional, even though previous Supreme Courts have said it's not constitutional. And one of those things is prayer. One of those things is prayer. David Barton said that, you know, this this case last summer with Coach Kennedy, the 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 high school coach in Washington, in the state of Washington, where he took a knee. Uh, and he he was fired for it. He took a knee. I think he was by himself just after the football game, you know, right at the 50-yard line. I don't know if others were with him, uh, but he was fired for that because his school said, mm, you oh, you can't pray like that. Uh-uh, you can't pray in public. Um, and, you know, the Supreme Court uh, reversed that decision. As a matter of fact, Coach Kennedy has his job back. I think this fall is his first time back on the field. Um, so look him up. I mean, that's that's going to be a fun uh, a fun story to follow. But it was this Supreme Court that that made that decision that that we have these longstanding traditions in this country, and there was a court in 1962 and 1963 that said, "Yeah, we're gonna you know we're gonna decide what's constitutional." We don't think the founding fathers really knew what they were talking about. We don't think Jefferson knew what he was talking about when in the Northwest Ordinance, he combined religion, morality, and education. You know, you can't have religion and morality as part of education. Uh, you know, but it's that education is so important because it's developing a particular type of person. Um and so we have a court that that really wants to, you know, wants to consider some of this stuff. You know, we have to we have to have some wisdom. We need people in charge that just have to have some wisdom. The beginning, uh, or the 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 fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says that in Proverbs nine, Proverbs one. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We just need some people that have some wisdom and knowledge. We we need leaders that are going to to be that are going to look at our history logically, that are going to have some common sense about it. The very first Congress, that first Continental Congress, they meet in September of 1774. And in that very first meeting, you've got 
you've got men coming from, you know, the, the 13 colonies and in their colonies, they're, you know, their big names, the people in the colonies know who they are, but they don't necessarily know of each other. You know, it's not like they could pull up Twitter or Facebook or Instagram or, you know, know what, you know, what the Adams cousins were doing in Massachusetts, you know, or what the Virginians were doing. They, you know, they don't, they don't know who Madison is. They don't, you know. And so they, they meet in 1774 to talk about what's happening with England. And the fact that England is, you know, being this oppressive big brother, so to speak. So they gather and John Jay, um, you know, somebody stood up and said, let's open in, in prayer. Let's, you know, let's, let's have prayer. And John Jay said, uh, I, I don't think we should open in prayer. Not because he didn't believe in prayer. He did. But because so many of those men that were meeting that September were of different denominations. John Jay said, I, I don't know that we should because, you know, there's all these various denominations represented. We all pray differently. We worship differently. So, yeah, maybe maybe we shouldn't do that. Samuel Adams stands up. You know, he's from Massachusetts. I think Jay's from New York. Samuel Adams stands up and he says, you know what? Uh, we're all patriots here. Let's, yeah, I'm sure we can, we can overlook that. Let's just, you know, this, I, I'm not from around here. I'm not from around Philadelphia, but I've heard this, you know, Reverend Duche is a, is a nice man. Let's, let's have him come and lead in prayer. And so everyone, you know, they're nodding their heads and they're thinking, okay, I mean, this is decent. All right. I mean, okay, we're going to, we're going to sign off on this. Duche uh, shows up and he he prays. And Samuel or John Adams writes a letter to his wife, Abigail. And in this letter, he's describing the events of, of what's happening. Um, and here's what he says. Uh, after Duche stands up and he prays, it was an, an extemporaneous, just off-the-cuff prayer. And then he read from a passage of what they would call the Book of Common Prayers. And this would be like, you know, what we would have if you have a, a daily devotional. Uh, if you have a devotional book and it has 365 devotions in it. So your devotion for August 7th. Every year you come around to August 7th, you're going to read that same devotion. That's what the Book of Common Prayers was. Before Duche reads from the Book of Common Prayers, he just goes off into this extemporaneous prayer, and, and, and it's something else. So uh, Adams is, is writing to Abigail, and he says this, I never saw a greater effect upon an audience. It seemed as if heaven had ordained that 35th Psalm to be read on that morning. After this, Mr. Duche, unexpected to everybody, struck out into an extemporaneous, uh, spontaneous, heartfelt prayer, which filled the bosom of every man present. I must confess, I never heard a better prayer. With such fervor, such ardor, such passion, such earnestness, such pathos, and in language so elegant and sublime for America, 
for the Congress, for the province of Massachusetts Bay, and especially the town of Boston. It had an excellent effect upon everyone there. The, he, he makes reference to the fact that Duchesne read the 35th Psalm, which happened to be that day's reading in the Book of Common Prayer. So the 35th Psalm, I want to just read a couple verses for you. I know, I know, this is a this is an education show, and I'm delving into uh, the Constitution, and I'm delving into you know the Psalms, but it's education touches everything. It absolutely touches everything. Listen to the first few verses in, in Psalm 35. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Now, recall, why are they there? They're there to talk about this problem with England. And that very morning, they got word of a blockade that England was, you know, putting forth in Boston because they were looking, you know, wanting to take control of an armament there. They get that, they get word that very morning. Duchesne opens up with this extemporary prayer that is touching the hearts of everyone present. And then he opens up the Book of Common Prayer, and that day's reading happens to be Psalm 35, which starts out, Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of buckler and shield and rise up from my help. Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Ah, that is so good. And with that, it's time for a break. We will pick this up on the other side. You're listening to The Dean's List on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio, it's a fight for the soul of humanity. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity, unlike other supplements that don't work. Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free, love it, or your money back, guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code out loud.
Welcome back to the Dean's List. We are happy to have you on board the show with us today. So we ended that last segment uh, talking about this opening prayer, really on the, the very first time that the Continental Congress meets in, in September of 1774. Silas Dean, here's what Silas Dean reported about Reverend Duchesne's prayer. He said it was worth riding 100 miles to here. 100 miles then would have been about a three days ride in the saddle. And he said this 10 minute extemporaneous prayer was worth worth riding that, that distance just to here. He said it was so powerful, even the Quakers shed tears. So the important thing about Quakers shedding tears here is that uh, Duche, Reverend Duche, is an Anglican minister. The Anglicans and the Quakers did not get along. And even the Quakers, he said, were shedding tears at this man's prayer. Dean went on and he said, the lessons of the day were accidentally extremely applicable. He's referring to Psalm 35 coming out of the Book of Common Prayers. Uh, the Book of Common Prayer had been written in 1662 under King Charles II. The, the, that reading, which was put in that book, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, let these men know that that God was looking out for them, that He had handpicked this message for them on this very day. That struck them. It did something to these men. It because they believed in a God who looked out for them. They believed there was a higher power, and He was interested in their well-being, and they wanted to have communication with Him. These were the men who would draft the Constitution. In this very first gathering in 1774. They call for prayer. Uh, it happens. Reverend Duche comes. He gives this extemporaneous prayer that even makes the, the Quakers cry. Uh, it's worth riding three days in the saddle just to hear this 10 minutes. And then the reading of that day, which was designated over 100 years ago, speaks to their hearts in the very specific situation they are in. And they believed it was God-ordained. They absolutely believed that providence was looking out for them. These men believed in prayer. They believed in God. They believed in the Bible. And they wanted this to be a part of our education. They wanted this to be part of our education system. But yet we have a Supreme Court that decides, yeah, I don't, I don't think that, uh, you know, we know better. We absolutely know better than what these guys know. I mean, we, uh, you know, we're going to say no. We're going to say a big fat no to, uh, to these guys and their desire to, uh, to have prayer in schools. So let's fast forward from 1774. And now let's go to 1787. It's the summer. 
And these guys are preparing again to reform the government. And they they gather in May. Uh, they elect Washington to preside over their convention. They're gathering because they think they're just going to uh, redraft or maybe redesign the Articles of Confederation. Uh, but James Madison and Washington and the Virginians actually come with a plan to, to just scrap the articles and let's start over. Let's do something new. So they get there and they elect Washington to preside as the president over the convention. And so they go into this process and it starts out rough, you know, because everybody's coming with their own plan. They've got their own idea. Some of them want to revise the articles. Madison starts talking about coming up with something new and he's got an idea. Then everybody else says, well, we've got an idea. What about this? What about that? What about the other? And it is bickering and it's complaining and it's going nowhere fast. And so at this point, uh, Benjamin Franklin stands up. He's 81 years old, which at the time, you know, this, this time frame, the average lifespan was about 33. And here's Franklin, 81. He has superseded that average lifespan um, by leaps and bounds. And this is the this is the the first time he has spoken at this convention. He's given speeches before, but he wasn't the one speaking. He would go home, he would write down some thoughts, and he would have other, you know, others others read read his thoughts for him. He hasn't really spoken. He hasn't stood up. He hasn't said anything. But he's eighty-one, and he's the 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 venerable Franklin. He's the respected member in the building. Finally, after all of the, the bickering and the arguing and the fighting and the complaining that my plan is better than your plan business, Franklin stands up. I'm going to read to you what he said. In this situation of this assembly, groping as it were in the dark to find political truth and scarce able to distinguish it when presented to us, how has it happened, sir, that we have not hitherto once thought of humbly applying to the Father of Lights to illuminate our understanding? In the beginning of the contest with Britain, when we were sensible of danger, we had daily prayers in this very room for the divine protection. So that was the room. They're in the same room when John Jay says, ah, we probably shouldn't pray because, you know, we don't all get along. And Samuel Adams says, I don't care. If we get a, get along or not, let's pray. And do Reverend Duche prays, and it just lights everybody up. So Franklin's going back to that. He says, our prayers, sir, were heard, and they were graciously answered. All of us who were engaged in the struggle must have observed frequent instances of a superintending providence in our favor. And we have and have we now forgotten that powerful friend? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? 
We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this, that I also, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. I therefore beg leave to move that henceforth prayers imploring the assistance of heaven and its blessings on our deliberations be held in this assembly every morning before we proceed to business. And, quite frankly, prayers have opened up every single day of Congress ever since. Ever since that fateful day in June of 1787. And we have a Supreme Court who takes it upon themselves to ignore. I mean, those are just, I just, I just gave you two examples. And the reason I like those two examples so much is because Ben Franklin really ties the two together in his speech at the convention. When he says, how have we forgotten to pray? I mean, what, what are we dumb? I mean, look around. Are we are we that stupid? I mean, we're in the very room that at the beginning of the war with Britain, we prayed every day. We prayed, we sought the face of God every day. And now we're here, we're here trying to restructure the government. How have we forgotten this? I move that we that we open with prayer. And they did. Matter of fact, they they took a recess that week and they went to church. It was um around the 4th of July and you know they they heard positive messages from preachers and they came back and something happened something changed when they came back there was this unity that presented itself and the men drafted the longest lasting constitution in the history of the world after Ben Franklin said, let's pause for a minute, you guys, and let's pray. We sought the Father of Lights in the beginning of the battle. Why aren't we doing it now? And it's like, it's like their eyes open and they, they look around and they're like, okay, I mean, he's right. We did. We had prayer in here every day. Why aren't we doing it now? Uh, it's almost like we 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 forget how we got here. And then it took Franklin for them to remember. And they pray, they come back, and they draft the, the, the Constitution. Do you know, you may not be aware of this, but on average, the lifespan, on average, of every Constitution is about 17 years on average, the lifespan of a constitution is about 17 years. And, you know, how long have we had ours? Subtract 2023 uh, and 1787. I mean, you're going to come up with over 200 years. 200, you know, 30-something. I can't do math in my head real quick. I mean, that's a long time. We have had our constitution 
for a long time, when on average, the, the average lifespan of a constitution is 17 years. There are countries where we've had our constitution in that same time frame. There are countries that have had four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten double digits. And we've had one. And it was formed after a man stood up and said, enough of the complaining, enough of the bickering, enough of the fighting. Hey, guys, let's pray. Let's ask God for some direction. We did it before, and he met us. And Franklin says, you know, we, we saw the hand of providence throughout the entire war. We saw it. So let's see it again. Let's see the hand of providence again. Franklin is probably, he's probably the least religious of all the founding fathers. Matter of fact, Franklin is the one that people will say, oh, he's a deist. I mean, he wasn't a deist. In his in his younger years, he did say, Yeah, I was interested in, and you know, I had thought about being a deist, or that was kind of my mindset. But he had changed. Life had changed Franklin. He had opened his eyes and he realized uh there was a loving, caring creator who was interested in his life. And you, I mean, he even he even reveals that in his speech, you know, when 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 he talks about the, the creator um, intervening in, in the affairs of men. And so here he is, you, you know, he's he's the least religious. But yet, and that and that speech he gave, David Barton, who again, America's historian, this man is just uh He's just something else. David Barton points out that there are 13 Bible passages that Franklin has quoted in his speech. Groping in the dark, he gets from Job. Uh, the Father of Light comes from the book of James. Illuminate our understanding comes from James. A sparrow cannot fall on the ground. I mean, you you should go back through, through Franklin's speech. You can pull it up. You can look at it. You can... You can Google it. It's out there. Franklin is the least religious of the founding fathers. And yet he knows the Bible backwards and forwards to the point where he just verses are just spitting out of him while he is just giving this speech, this passionate speech to everybody in this room. So, you know, for our, our Supreme Court here, you know, 62, 63 to say, we don't want prayer. We don't want, you know, we don't want the Bible because, you know, we can't shove religion down people's throats. Here was a man who was the least religious, yet he understood the value of the Bible. He understood the value of biblical principles, and he just spit them out right there in that speech, gathering everyone together and saying, hey, there is a God. Let's let's seek His counsel. Let's go to Him in prayer. And this is what you know. Cindy was bringing up yesterday in our in our last segment, where she talked about her eighth grade Bible class and how you know they would read through the epistles of Paul, and every they they begin to realize that you know Paul said you know get rid of certain things, and they created a, a get rid of list that they called the dark list. And then Paul said, there are things that, that you should do. 
that he was encouraging people to do, and that was the light list, the keep list. And they, every time they read it, they would they would add to the list that they put on the whiteboard. And you know, things in that get rid of list was gossip, slander, um, fearful, boastful, God haters, um, heartless, faithless, senseless. I mean, just stuff that you don't want. And then the keep list was love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and helpful, diligent, um, not tiring of doing good. Uh, this, this isn't, you know, the fact that the Supreme Court threw out prayer and Bible from our schools, they, they really threw out the ability for public schools to develop a certain type of person, to really develop a, a certain type of individual, one who engages in these in these things that are on the good list. Uh, Franklin is a is a prime example of that, the least religious, yet he understood the value of biblical principles and was able to just deliver that off the cuff to these gentlemen when they needed it the most, when they were on the verge of drafting a document that would literally create uh, the most blessed, freest country in the history of the world. And prayer was the springboard for that. And we have a court that took it upon themselves to say, yeah, prayer is not that important. We can't, you know, we don't want to shove that down the throats of people. Yeah. We're here. We are at this place. Uh, but folks, my friends, ladies and gentlemen, there is hope out there and we're going to go after it. We're going to go after the hope that uh, is being availed to us. Well, that's all the time we've got for now. I am uh, grateful that you were uh, with me today, America. Let's get out and encourage our friends and family to get on the Dean's List. Let's renovate the age.